Father, once again we come to your throne room of grace. Father, we plead for your mercies, Lord. Father, in and of ourselves, in myself, in all of ourselves, we have nothing to give you. There is nothing good in our flesh. This morning, Father, we just come to you totally, totally, absolutely dependent upon your mercy. Father, we need you to speak to our hearts. Prepare us for the days ahead. We need you. We need you, Lord. We need you to speak to our hearts, to prepare us, O Lord, even through this time of crisis that we are going through, that we will stand firm. Father, that we will stand strong, that we will walk in obedience to your commands, that we will not compromise. Have mercy, Lord. Have mercy. Have mercy, mercy, mercy. Father, we just worship you. We give you glory. Come at this time into your hands. Anoint us and teach us your ways. Show us your paths. For in Jesus' name, Amen. So this morning, once again, we go to the ministry of the Word of God. And uh, we've been looking at Christian life through the patriarchs. And one of the patriarchs, of course, we were looking at last night was David. And I mean, last few nights, we've been looking at David, the life of David. We've also been looking at uh, <coughs> the other patriarchs uh, in the book of Genesis. We've been looking at the lives of Joseph, Jacob, Esau. And Isaac, we've been learning about the life of Christ through all these characters in the Bible and uh, also through uh, the ecclesia or the church which is in the wilderness. Yeah, so, so many lessons we have learned and we'll continue to learn. One of the things that we have been brought, that has been brought to our attention was the fact that Christian life is war until the end. There are fleshly lusts which war against our soul and try to take away our purity. We have to escape the corruption which is in the world. So, which try to, uh, which tries to woo us through lust. So by, by taking part of the divine nature, we escape that corruption which is in the world. And also there is an enemy whom we have to resist. We also do not uh, fight against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers of darkness. Of course, these are all personal. These are not uh, ministerial battles per se. That will come later when God calls you. But these are something we, uh, that God has to deal with us in our own lives first. In our battle against the world and the flesh, we have the we have to appropriate the message of the cross into our lives, okay, 
That's what Paul says. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. You can see that if you want. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the crucified life is a life of faith. It's not a life, it's not a life of sight. And when we, we are saved by grace through faith, right? So the moment we start walking by faith, the power of God's grace, the power of his spirit, the spirit of grace comes and empowers us to live the crucified life. And then again, we also uh, turn to Galatians chapter 6. And if you turn with me to verse 14, it says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Okay, so you have seen these are the two battles which we have to win. And the only solution we have is the life of Christ, the crucified life. We'll probably talk about it maybe in the coming days as to how to uh, practically live out this crucified life. We've been looking at it, no? The life of the cross is essentially where God's will and our will um, cross, essentially. And then how we lay down our will and pick up our cross daily and walk with him. That is essentially with the world. Third, of course, is the principalities, principalities and the powers of darkness. For that, I need to ha- have the whole armor of God. Okay. Uh, helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, girded my loins with the truth, the feet of, shod with the, um, with the gospel of peace, with sandals of the gospel of peace, praying with all prayer, having the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and the shield of faith. So we have all this armor and essentially, if you look at all of this, it's the life, it is like putting on the Lord Jesus Christ again. So, even to fight the enemy, the only way we overcome the enemy when we have put on the life of Christ, because who is the first person who put on the helmet, helmet of salvation on the left and on the right? It was Jesus himself. That's what That's what it says in the book of Isaiah. And when we are appropriating the armor, we are essentially putting on Jesus himself. That is the reason why book of Romans will say in Romans chapter 13, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and do not give any provision to the flesh to gratify its lusts. Uh, Ephesians will say, put off the old man which is growing corrupt with deceitful lusts and put and be renewed in the spirit of the man and put on the new man which is being created in the image of Christ in righteousness and holiness. Again, Colossians will also say, put off concerning the old man, put to death all those things. No, So, uh, and put on Christ. So the moment you put on Christ, you are equipped for battle. And uh, we looked at, this is not, of course, spiritual warfare per se, uh, by in deliverance ministry, this is our own personal battle. This is where we exercise personal deliverance and we enjoy personal deliverance. That's what we are talking about here. And we are looking, of course, uh, starting um, from one of the patriarchs, um, ah, before we go there, uh, when we talk about uh, the crucified life, of course, one of the simplest things in the crucified life, in the battle against the flesh and the world, okay, flesh, flee, youthful lusts, flee, 
sexual immorality. As far as the world is concerned, what is there in the world is idolatry. Okay, idolatry is essentially spiritual adultery. That is the reason why Jesus says, thou shalt, I mean, God says in the Ten Commandments, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the the land of Egypt. Thou shalt have no other gods apart from me. Okay, so the first commandment itself is what? Uh, that 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 you should not commit spiritual adultery that you will not have any other gods apart from me and we know both from ephesians and colossians that the greatest idolatry in this world is covetousness covetousness is idolatry and what feeds and the moment you get into the world it's all covetousness it is gain it is it is greed it is dissatisfaction it is discontentment that is what is being fed through different channels that how difficult it is to live. Now we know in this lockdown that we don't need much to survive. Okay? We actually need very little to survive. So we can shed a lot of things and uh, live a life full of contentment. That's the reason why it says in First Timothy chapter 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, we have brought nothing into this world and it is certain <laughs> that we will not take anything back. Therefore, having food and raiment, let us be satisfied. More than this, you will hurt yourself through, pierce yourself through many problems. So, this is essentially the idea. So, idolatry, we have to flee. So, we flee idolatry, we flee youthfulness, we flee uh, uh, sexual immorality. And, of course, we also flee something and we also been taught to pursue righteousness, holiness, love, faith... Or with all those things, all those people who call upon God with a pure, from a pure heart. That means we also have a bunch of people who are having like-minded, um, um, who, are, who have a, a like mind, who are having the same vision and the same purpose and they're going in the same direction and we uh, walk along with them as well. Yeah, I, I remember something sometime back, no, there was a powerful, uh, 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 if you read Pilgrim's Progress, um, Pilgrim ha- has two friends. Okay, first is faithful and hopeful. Now, uh, Pilgrim after him, that is Christian after he fights the battle with Apollyon and then he crosses the dungeon of uncertainty and he goes on to the other side. He sees one believer running. Okay, and when he sees that believer running, he runs after him and he says, hey, hey, stop, stop, stop. Let me catch up with you. And faithful says, hey, no, I'm not catching up with you. He makes a very interesting statement. He says, the avenger of blood is after me. Okay. It's, it's very powerful. The avenger of blood is after me. Okay. And, and, and it's very interesting that why does he say the avenger of blood is after you? You know, uh, you don't have to turn there. I'm just giving you a, a context here. If you see that when the axe set falls, when Elisha goes in uh, in uh, in First King, Second Kings chapter four, when Elisha goes along with those guys to uh, to uh, cut the place and to make a bigger room for themselves in the school of prophets, one of the axe sets falls, and then uh, Elisha says, "Okay, put uh, uh, the wood and the axe will float," and he gets the axe set back. If you look at Deuteronomy, it says, when you go out into the field or into the forest, and even while you are chopping the axe, and if the axe head flies away, and it hits somebody, okay, and that fellow accidentally dies, what you should do, you should run to a place called a city of refuge. Otherwise, you'll be handed over to the, what? To the avenger of blood. Now, it's very interesting. 
it's very interesting of course you didn't uh, you accidentally uh, killed him but you know wh- what is what does it mean that you have to always live under the consciousness that the avenger of blood of the of blood is after you okay why should we why should we live in that consciousness why is it important for us to live in the consciousness that the avenger of blood is after us in the bu- book of ezekiel it says you know um uh, God tells Ezekiel, I have set you as a watchman over the children of Israel. If you see the enemy coming, if you see the enemy coming, and if you do not warn them, and if they die in their sin, their blood I will require of your hands. Okay. But if you see them, and you warn them, but they die in their rebellion, they might die in their rebellion, but your hands are clean. That is exactly the reason why Paul tells in Acts chapter 20, I have taught you the whole counsel of God and nobody's blood is on my hands. I am innocent of the blood of any man. You know why? I have taught you everything. I have taught you concerning the grace of God, the mercy of God, the uh, the, the, the love of God and and, the, and all those attributes of God which we like and the attributes of God which we don't like, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the judgment of God and the, all the, the entire counsel of God I've given you. And if I haven't given you the entire counsel of God, I know that God will require your blood on my hands. Okay, and therefore he lives under this consciousness that the who is after him? The avenger of blood is after you. That is exactly what we are doing in our ministry here. What we are doing is we are warning all of us, including myself. It is not, ex- I am not exempt from this. I am including, I am responsible for my own soul and I am also responsible to to uh, to the souls to, uh, which God has committed into my hands, okay, into our hands. I mean, I'm going to say not my hands, into our hands as a church, okay. And it is our responsibility to warn you. And if we do not warn you, your blood will be required of our hands. That is exactly the reason why in Hebrews chapter 13 it says, they, they those who preach or who share the word should be counted for double honor because they watch over your souls and let them not, um, let them, don't cause them any grief for it will be unprofitable for you. You see, because we and all pastors, all ministers of the word of God, everybody who's teaching the ministry of the word of God, one of the things that they have to constantly warn their people with this consciousness that who's after them, the avenger of blood is after them. If you do not teach the whole counsel of God, God will require their blood at your hands. And it's remarkable that John Bunyan, when he's talking about faithful, he says, don't stop me, don't stop me, the avenger of blood is after me. Okay, we also live in that consciousness, the avenger of blood is after us. And therefore we warn you, what what do we want? Flee youthful lusts. Because if if, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And if you die and we didn't warn you, your blood will be required in our hands. Okay, flee idolatry. And if you die in your idolatry and we didn't warn you, your blood will be required of our hands. Therefore, flee youthfulness, flee idolatry. Okay, flee all these things and resist the devil. All these three things we have to teach you as a church. Therefore, we 
I'm telling all of us as ministers of the word of God, genuine ministers of the word of God, have to live under this consciousness that we are responsible for people's souls and therefore we are we are exhorted and joined to tell them the whole purpose of God. Let them not just listen to light messages, just about peace and peace when there is no peace. How to stand in the time of crisis, how to go through crisis, all is fine. I'm not saying that is not wrong. But you have to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. That is with which we have to live. Otherwise, your blood is required of our hands. Therefore, we are studying the patriarchs. Okay, So we have to teach you. We have to teach you as to how to fight this war. And life is war. Okay, And we have to have a mindset of a soldier. That is the reason why, if you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3 onwards, Look at what it says. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. What does a soldier do? He fights. Okay. And therefore, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Okay. And that he may please the one who has enlisted him as a soldier. Therefore, we are all soldiers. Okay. Now, I, sometime back last year, I, I, I went to a youth conference. No, um, where uh, the topic was to speak on uh, creating an army. Okay, so this was it was cute actually. It was very cute that all these guys were dressed in camouflage. All the youth, you know, they were put on they put on this camouflage T-shirt, and you know they're they're saying that they're army, and they have no clue as to what to be. What is army? What is spiritual warfare? What is battle? Nothing. Absolutely no clue. Okay, but we, 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 we are talking when we are talking about a soldier. We are not talking about the external. We are talking about a, a, a physical uh, preparation. We are talking about a preparation of the mind and of the spirit, and of course, uh, which also involves your body. Yeah, because we have to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, which includes your mind, and with all of your strength, which includes your body. All right. So, um, prepared, prepare ourselves for war. And we've been studying, of course, from one young man. Okay. We've been looking at young people. Okay. 30 fold anointing, 60 fold anointing, 100 fold anointing, however you wish or you want to look at it. But one of the purposes, whether you like it or not, we have to fight this war. Okay. Whether you like it or not, you have been enlisted in battle. Okay. The only people who are unsafe in this entire, uh, uh, scenario are spiritual children. If you are a spiritual child, you are a target of the enemy and you can be easily finished off. What strength does a child have? Zero. Somebody has to take care of it, right? So helpless. Hospitals have neonatal units. And unfortunately, it's a fact that so many churches have turned themselves into neonatal units. Small babies being in, being taken care of. But if the enemy comes and attacks them, Gone. Yesterday, yesterday I was looking at uh, a newspaper uh, news uh, from um, this. I think it's uh, Philippines, if I'm right. Philippines, the hospital, they started giving uh, COVID masks to newborn babies so that they will not die. I was I looked at I looked at that and I thought that was very interesting. And In so many places there are so many spiritual babies. What they have to give, what have to, what they have to be given is masks so that they will not die of COVID. So they are so vulnerable. They don't have to attack anybody. They are already under attack. 
Okay, so we need to be very, very clear, absolutely clear of this one thing. Lord, I am in a warfare and if I do not grow, I don't have a option of not growing actually. You understand this? Therefore, therefore, when we are talking about 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold and hunting, we are talking about something which is absolutely important. We are not playing the fool over here. You know why? Because your spiritual destiny and ours also is dependent upon how we warn you. And therefore, we want to take utmost care to warn you appropriately, to give you as to the best of our ability and as far as our conscience is clear with God, to give you the complete counsel of God. So, we are looking at young man. And who's this young man? If you learn with me to Acts chapter 13 verse 36. Look at this beautiful pet patriarch, okay? And in fact, even in... Um, for David, after he had served his own purpose by the will of God. Okay, own generation. His his own generation by the will of God fell asleep, was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. So, this should be our aim also. We should serve our own generation by the will of God before we fall asleep. We should serve our own generation by the will of God before we fall asleep. And therefore, in order to serve our generation, we should know the will of God. Right? And there are definitely three known will of God. We always keep that. No, first known will of God is what? This is the will of God, your sanctification. What is that? That you abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. It's a sanctification. It's a sexual immorality. You keep yourself pure. That you have to, as a vessel, be a vessel of honor. Okay, that is the will of God, your sanctification, your separation from the things and from the lusts of this world. First, second, the will of God is to give him thanks at all times. That is the will of God. These are all already given to us. The general will of God, so to speak. And if we constantly separate ourselves and if we constantly renew our mind by the washing of water by the word. No, 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 nothing, nothing. I don't think anybody. It's locked, right? The gate is locked, right? The gate is closed, yeah. Yeah. Yeah? So, uh, or, 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 see, so, uh, there is, the, the David, after he served his own generation by the will of God, therefore we need to know God's will. See, there is no option for us to, not to know God's will for our lives. Okay. What is the will of God for my life? What is my particular purpose in God's will? God's kingdom. We know the general will of God. We sanctify ourselves. We Give thanks to God at all times. Ultimately, we also transform our mind so that we know what is the good and what is the acceptable and there is a perfect will of God. Ultimately, you have to find the will of God and do it. And for that, you need to hear. You understand? You need to hear. God has to constantly keep speaking to us. And I'm just not talking about um, reading the scriptures and understanding the scriptures. Yes, we are talking about God speaking specifically our this our goal in his in his kingdom and therefore everybody has a goal everybody has a gift and everybody according to the gift and according to the giftings of god we need to find our specific goal in the in the kingdom of god and do it so we are learning before we fall asleep and we see corruption we finish god's purpose in our generation okay all right so, if you want to look at uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 30, please, if you will. 
Proverbs chapter 31, not 30. Proverbs chapter 31. And there's a very interesting um, set of verses which talks about the generation that we are living in. Okay. Um, actually, not 30... 31? 13, right? 39? Hmm? Just a minute, please. 3011, yeah, sorry, 3011. Hmm. Yes, that's right. There is a generation that curses its father and it does not bless its mother. That is the generation that we are living in. Okay, what does it mean? People who have no respect for authority. That is a generation. A rebellious generation. Especially in the West, if you look at the West, it's a completely, absolutely given over to rebellion. Okay, there's no respect. In fact, if you look at the universities in the West and India, how different the classrooms are. Right? How we respect our professors and our teachers. And you go there, very rarely you find... Any respect, I mean, they just come and say, okay, give me a class, I'm paying my tuition fee, you better teach and go. That is their attitude. Okay, they'll they'll sit in any, any which way they want. And the professor also is also like that because he also has come up that way. Okay, there is a generation that curses its father and mother and does not bless it, that curses its father and does not bless its mother. Next verse, verse 12. It says, uh, verse 12, there is a generation that is pure in its own eyes and yet is not washed from its filthiness. That's exactly the generation that we are living in. We are their wise in their own eyes. And then, there is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. Pride, full of pride. And finally, verse 4, there is a generation whose teeth are like swords, whose whose fangs are, in, are are like knives, to devour the poor from the earth and the needy from among men. That's exactly what is happening, right? Who's dying now, most of the time? The poor and the needy. Nobody even cares about them. We have an epidemic and who's dying, they don't even care. They don't even care. That's the generation that we are living in. If you are not contributing, so to speak, to the society, you're useless to me. You see, so there is a generation. This is the kind of generation that we are living in. And we have to serve our own generation by the will of God before we fall asleep. And therefore, we are learning from the life of David. We looked at the anointing of David, of course, last time. But uh, when Pastor was uh, sharing, there was one particular uh, verse which captured my attention. And he also mentioned that yesterday also. Uh, it's found in First Samuel, let's, uh, chapter 16. Let's read from verse 11. Onwards. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Uh, and he said, There's, there, yet, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send him and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, bright eyes, good looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Looked at Arise yesterday, no? Then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord 
came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Next verse. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And verse 15. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from, the, from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. Um, the word for skillful player is also cunning player. In other translations it will use the word cunning. Okay, I'll tell you what that cunning means. Okay, we will understand what it is, and it shall be that when that he, when he when he will play it with his hand, when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well. So this is the first deliverance ministry we are talking about. Okay, okay. So this guy understood in some sense what is. I cannot say mildly spiritual warfare. Maybe I don't know, but it's not as intense as it is today, and the way David. Uh, Jesus was exercising authority over the demons, but nevertheless, there's a type over here. Next verse. So Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man who can play well and bring him here. Then one of the servants answered and said, look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who's skillful in playing. Yeah? Who's skillful in playing. A mighty man of valor. A man of war prudent in speech, a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. So we looked at, like we, we want to look at this verse today. We just, we just, just freeze here. Okay. Seven characteristics are mentioned about David. Okay. If you don't find seven, find seven. Okay. That is exactly how I look at the Bible, but here you definitely find seven. Okay. First, he says, he's a son of Jesse. Bethlehem. Okay, fine. That is very clearly mentioned. Second, he's skillful in playing. The the understanding is that he's, he's skillful in playing a musical instrument. Okay, playing the word is nagan or a nag. You know, if you um, if you if you read your psalms um, on neginoth, it says a psalm on neginoth to the chief musician. Have you seen? If you read all the headings of the Psalms on Neginoth, what is Neginoth? Neginoth comes from a Hebrew word Nagina, not Nagina, Negina, which is a stringed instrument. Stringed instrument. Neginoth is a plural of Negina, which which means string instruments. Okay, that's uh, that's uh, that's a word. Okay, who's skillful in playing? First, he's a son of Jesse, a Bethlehemite, skillful in playing. Second, mighty man of valor. Third. A man of war forth, a prudent man in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. How many? Seven. Okay, seven characteristics. Okay. Seven things about this man. It's very interesting though. The first thing that is mentioned about David, of course, this guy is of course a type of the of a young man who's going to be the overcomer, right? Alright? He's going to be a man of war. Hmm? He's going to fight the battles of uh, of Israel, and and of course, is a type of of a person who's of the sixtyfold anointing. Is what we looked at in the last few sessions that we studied. So we have a son of Jesse. Why? What does that mean? What does it mean? First of all, to be a son of Jesse. You know, it's very interesting, right? Joshua, the son of Nun. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. Every time Bethsalel is mentioned, his father is mentioned. Why is his father mentioned? 
Why is that father mentioned? There are several sons of Jesse, but there is only one son of Jesse whom God approves. You understand? Okay. That's that's very important for us to understand. There are several sons of Jesse, but there is only one son of Jesse who God approves. And the other thing we need to understand is that God is a God who sees our behavior in our homes. If you are young people who are watching, or you're working in a working in a in a in an office, and it's very interesting that after Elisha is called Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who poured water in the hands of Elijah. That was his introduction. Okay, that's what it says. Now, do we have a man of war in second, uh, a prophet whom, uh, from whom we can enquire? It says in Second Kings chapter three. And yes, yes, there is one prophet. When Jehoshaphat asks, "Can we? Can we find?" He says, "Yes, there is one prophet whose his name is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who poured water in the hands of Elijah. A man who always comes under authority. That's exactly what it means. Okay, my son. That's exactly how all proverbs are addressed. My son, my son, my son, my son, my son." So, this is that is a spiritual con- excuse me. There's a spiritual meaning there, as son, and son of who? Son of Jesse. <laughs> you know what the word Jesse means? I possess. That's what it means. The, g- the g- guy who's ready to possess the life of Christ. If you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter one, verse six onwards. Uh, you know. In Telugu, it is called Dvitiya Upadesam. Dvitiya means second, Upadesam means teaching. That is Deuteronomy. In, 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 in Hindi? Vyavastha Vivaran. Achha, Vyavastha ka Vivaran. Kya baat hai? So this is a very interesting, um, um, a book. It's a, it's a reiteration of the law in some sense, but also talking about the explanation of the law. The readers, so Dutiya Upadesam, and the Pradham Upadesam Kutundi, Adekadi, Nirgama Kandalon, Pradham Upadesam, Antena, Nirgama, Leviticus Lagodan, and Levi Lakras Matrikan, Levi Kandam, Sankhya Kandam. These three books have the law, but the ultimate, it is this one book which encapsulates the whole law and summarizes it, it is Dutiya Upadesam. It's a second. Law, Upadesam is teaching or doctrine, it's also called doctrine. Okay. So in Deuteronomy chapter one, it's very interesting. The Lord your our God spoke to us in Horev. Horev is where he gave the law. You know, remember? You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. No, the law was given two and a half years. Now they have come to Sinai. Two and a half years, all the law was given, Le- uh, Leviticus was given, numbers I mean all those uh, uh, how to uh, build the tabernacle was given. The tabernacle was built. Um, the priests were ordained. Mm-hmm. I think I'm not sure if the sacrifices were have started or not. But the Nazarite uh, laws were given. The law of jealousy is given. So many laws were given. All the laws. The law of the heifer is also given. The red heifer. Remember, it's it's given. All the laws have been given now in the book of Numbers. Till the book of Numbers, chapter 11, if I'm right, till, till chapter 12, all the laws have been given. And now this is essentially. Uh, uh, remind, reminding the Israelites of that event which took place when God asked Moses to go. The Lord our God spoke to us in Horeb saying, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the mountain of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places in the plain, in the mountains and in the lowland, 
in the south and in the sea coast to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. And verse 8, see, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land. So, what does David mean? David's, what is David? David is called the son of Jesse. What does Jesse mean? I possess. So David is a type of a person who possesses the life of Christ. The promises of God. And we know 99.99% of the promises. I mean, I can say categorically if I'm right. If I'm, if I'm wrong, please correct me. Okay. But I'm making this very bold statement. 99.99% of the promises of God are conditional. For example, every promise of God is yes and amen. I in Christ. That is the biggest condition. So if you are not in Christ, you cannot claim any of the promises of God. That is useless for you. (laughs) So if you are not a born again believer, like I said yesterday, you cannot bless the flesh with the spiritual blessings. That's exactly what Isaac was trying to do with Esau. Okay, so 99.99% of the promises in the Bible are not for the flesh, are for the person who is of the spirit and the person who is positionally in Christ. So nobody else can claim. So so now if, if I put that statement, all promises of God, 100% of the promises of God, of God are conditional to your position of being where? In Christ. Because if any man is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. All things are passed away. All things have become new. Okay. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and judge sin or punish sin, condemned sin, our sin in his flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Who is the guy who is walking according to the spirit? The person who is in Christ. Okay, God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Therefore, you cannot claim the promises of God unless and until you are in Christ. Okay, so David is a type of man who is in Christ for sure, but he is a he was a guy he is a guy who is a who is a go getter. That's his attitude. You've seen that he never shirks some spiritual responsibility. He is the one who says, you know what, I want to possess what. Whatever is there for me, let me go and possess. And that's exactly what he does. He possesses the entire, almost, the entire land, including the Jebusites. You know, who, who's, under whose control was Jerusalem? The Jebusites. We will talk about the Jebusites later. Hmm? Okay, Jebusites. He was the one who liberated the Jer- of Jerusalem, of the Jebusites, and took control of Jerusalem. Okay. He fights that Jebusite spirit. And therefore, after he has won the war, and if the land has been secure under him, now the land has rest and Solomon is ready to build the house of God. So, he is the one. He is the one who had the spirit, I will go and possess the life of Christ, the son of Jesse. So, there are three viewpoints. How many viewpoints? The viewpoints. The testimony of others about you. Okay, testimony about you yourself, as as I said. Third is a testimony of God about you. Okay, very important. Okay, now the testimony of others about you can be divided into two parts. The testimony of those, those who are of the spirit and testimony of those who are of the flesh. Okay, the people of the flesh will despise you. 
Okay, for example, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 25 and let's read from verse 5 onwards. You know, this is to Nabal. Remember the story of Nabal and, Ab- and Abigail, okay? Hmm. So David sent young men and David said to young men, go up to Carmel, go to Nabal and greet him in my name. <laughs> Look at this. Now he's, giving, he's giving his name. Greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace be to you, peace to your house, peace to all that you have. Now the point is that who who... Who was the reason for Nabal's peace? David was the reason. Mm. Now I have heard that you have you have shearers, you have shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there any was there anything missing from them. Uh, all the while uh, they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. Now look at this. So David's young man came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. And this fellow, the fool responded, that is exactly this name. Nabal means the fool. Okay. Nabal answered, can you imagine the Holy Spirit calls his name Nabal? I don't know what his original name was. Okay, his name could have been uh, Prince or or some other name. But his wife calls him Nabal, David calls him Nabal, God calls him Nabal. I don't know, we don't care whatever other people call him. But tell me, who names somebody fool? Especially a guy who's really rich and having a lot of possessions, nobody will call him a fool. Only God can call him a fool. Like, remember the rich, rich, rich fellow in, I will build and I will build and I will make more barns and bigger barns and I will say, uh, I have sufficient for long days. Now eat, drink and be, do your merry. You fool, says God. So that's exactly, this is a typical worldly person, typical, absolutely worldly person who does not understand why God gave him wealth. Let me tell you something. Why does God give us wealth so that we can share? That's exactly the reason why in First Timothy chapter 6, God, uh, Paul tells, tell the rich not to trust in uncertain riches. They will have wings and they will fly. That's what Proverbs says, no? <laughs> so you don't trust in uncertain riches, but be ready to share and be generous in your giving. Whatever you're rich in, you could be rich in a lot of talent and lot of skill. You might be having a skill that you and you alone are, are capable of. Nobody else can do it because God has gifted you in that area. How, how do you use that skill? Will you be like David? Look at what Nabal says. Nabal answers, answered David's servants and said, Who is David? Who is the son of? Ah! That's his opinion. Condescending. There are many servants nowadays who break away each from their own master. They, he also knows the story here. Uh, the, 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 the report has come that Saul, uh, David is fleeing from Saul and uh, he was supposed to be under Saul, right? I know why you. They don't know any of the actual story that is going on. Why Saul is pursuing David. All they can see is, are this fellow might have done something. They don't want to give. That's how their opinion is. The opinion of the man of the flesh, the son of Jesse. There are many servants nowadays who break away each from his master. What kind of opinion? Absolutely useless opinion. 
opinion of the flesh another opinion we want to see another opinion uh, first samuel chapter 22 verses 6 7 and 8 6 onwards 7 yeah Saul heard that David and his men were with him and had discovered uh, and that him had been dis- and the men of men who were with him had been discovered now Saul was staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Rama and the spear was in his hand spear was in his hand and all his servants standing about him then Saul said to his servants here you benjamites will the son of Jesse look at this will the son of Jesse give you one of your fields your vineyards make you all the captains of thousands and captains of hundreds that's his testimony will this fellow will this fellow give you any of the benefits that i can give you hates him see one of the things that you need to understand flesh will not have anything good to say about a man of the spirit you understand flesh will have nothing in fact they will look down upon people who are essentially in ministry i have i've seen this attitude i've seen this after i used to have that kind of an attitude now after having come into the ministry now i am also be bearing the brunt of that attitude from others generally generally this is the general opinion okay not many people except a few in christendom have a good opinion about those people who are in full time ministry Okay. very 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 they have a condescending attitude it's it's like you know you are dependent upon us kind of uh, you are we are working and you are we are giving you and we are your benefactors that's the kind of an attitude they have that is essentially the opinion of flesh <laughs> so what did i say three kinds of opinions opinions of other people about you okay and in the opinion of other people about you you have the opinion of the flesh and of the opinion of the spirit and we know the opinion of the spirit of a man who had discernment is that there's a son of jesse seven six things he lists about son of jesse and then you your opinion about yourself turn with me to second uh, samuel chapter 23 verse 1 onwards 1 to 5 actually look at this okay now these are the last words of david the son the thus says david the son of kya baat hai you know thus says david the son of jesse thus says the man raised up on high on high he did not raise himself up the anointed of the god of jacob he did not anoint himself and the sweet psalmist of israel kya baat hai this is how he introduces himself what am i i am just an ordinary psalmist i was going and playing guitar in the in the wilderness god came and said you become a people uh, become a, uh, my king my king no this is this is some this is how his opinion about himself look at what it says keep keep uh, scrolling down the spirit of the lord spoke by me kya baat hai and his word was on my tongue the god of israel said the rock of israel spoke to me he who rules over men must be just ruling in the fear of god praise god if if people have been called to lead this is the attitude that you should have he who rules over men first of all he has to rule rule himself and he must be just that means he must be fair he should not have partiality and he should not take bribes you should not favor the poor because yes they are just because they are poor you should not favor the rich because they are rich and look down upon the poor no 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 he should have a fair assessment of everybody and how should he rule he should be just and he should rule in the fear of god and then next go on verse 4 and he shall be like the light of the morning 
when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth, but the clear shining after the rain. Have you seen tender grass springing? And what is on the tender grass? Dew. You see, that is that is a picture of the Holy Spirit. A man who has got the anointing over his life. And verse 5, look at this. Although my house is not so with God. Look at his opinion about himself. All this, my house, no, no, Lord, who am I? We were not so like, we were not as faithful as people claim us to be. A very low opinion about himself. That's exactly what he says, not who am I, Lord, that you want to build my house. He sat in the presence of God and he started saying, Lord, who am I? This is his opinion. Although my house is not with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and secure for this is all my salvation and my desire. Will he not make it increase? You stop there. This is his, this is his, what? Opinion about himself. And finally, you have what? <laughs> God's opinion about you, right? Turn with me now to, uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Not 15, it was 13, verse 22. And when he had removed him, that is Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave, who gave testimony? God gave testimony. And said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. That is precisely what we have to aim for in life. Okay, You want to be secure? Be a son of Jesse. The first attribute of, of this man of war is a son of Jesse. Okay, such a low opinion about him. Right? Look at what it says in First Corinthians chapter 4. If you have the NLT, it will be great. First hmm? Corinthians chapter 4, let's read from verses 1 to 5. 1 to 5. So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ. Kya baat? Look at this. That's, that's, what, that's how you have to look at us. What are you saying? Look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's secrets. Now, a person who is put in charge of explaining God's secrets, in this case, as a manager, must be faithful. That's all he has to be. And then, what about me? Have I been faithful? Well, it matters very little what you or anyone else thinks. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. <laughs> like that. My conscience is clear. But that doesn't, but that isn't what, what matters. But that isn't what matters. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. When will he decide? Verse 5. So be careful not to jump to conclusions before the Lord returns. At his return, he will decide. You see that? So be very careful not to jump to conclusions before the Lord returns as to whether or not someone is faithful or not. So a lot of people know, they jump to conclusions. As I said, Pastor was saying yesterday, right? Be slow to speak, quick to hear, and slow to anger. Because when you are quick to anger, you make rash judgments about somebody whom you have no idea about. So don't judge anything before time. Wait for the time. Wait when? Sometimes you have to wait till eternity. Shut your mouth. Don't play any, don't be God in anybody's life. And that includes everybody. 
We have to make assessments about people who are under us only. And where you have not been given authority, shut your mouth. Is the point. So where he says, so be careful not to jump to conclusions before the Lord returns as to whether or not someone is faithful. When the Lord comes, he will bring our deepest secrets to light. Now this is such a tremendously powerful statement. Now who should fear? Not my neighbor, me. Think about our deepest secrets. (laughs) If God were to bring it to light now, See how little time we have on others and how how much more time we have to spend on our own selves? <laughs> See, that is the reason why you're looking at personal things, right? So, when the Lord comes, He will bring our deepest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. I like the NLT here. That's the reason why I got this wrong. He will reveal our private motives. That means all the private conversations you had with your wife and your, and your, and your children or with your friends or with your, with your colleagues. All private conversations about your boss. How fantastic he is. How qualified he is to lead that team. Right? No? He's such a qualified person, Ray. Is that, is that the kind of conversations you had with your, with your colleagues? Private conversations will come to light, Baba. Be very careful, therefore. Be very, 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 very careful. And then God will Give to everyone whatever praise is due. Whatever praise or no praise is due, he will give it, Baba. So wait till that day. So don't praise me. Don't praise others. We can exhort and encourage one another. We are not saying that we should exhort and encourage one another. We should speak words of encouragement. Say, yes, brother, you are doing a good job. Really encourage. Stay on that narrow path. Your journey is not, your race is not yet finished. A long way to go. Both abhi dilli dur hai. Both. Abhi both complacent ho jake, mat, aisa mat bolna ki sab kuch theek hai, abhi zindagi bas ho gaya, abhi mein let sakta hoon. Nain, 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 there's a lot of distance you have to go. It's a long obedience in a single direction. Until we come to the confidence that now I know I have finished the faith, I have kept my, I have finished my race, kept my faith, now is waiting for me. What? Did you, do you, are you very, are you very sure about your crown of righteousness? I am not sure, Baba. Okay. If you are sure, then you can say, when we are not sure, let us shut our mouths and let us be on that straight and honorable. So we have three people. Son of Jesse may chaitna. So are we all sons of Jesse? What is the son? What does Jesse mean? I want to possess. So the first thing is son of Jesse. Second, <clears throat> what is he? Second, he says he's skillful, cunning in playing. Let's go back to first Samuel chapter 16, verse 18. Yeah. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing or in on the string instruments. Now, this is essentially his observation, I believe, when he was passing through the wilderness. I'm sure he must have passed through the wilderness and you would have heard a song. That's all like many directors, no? Uh, they will they will be passing by the wilderness and suddenly somebody will be playing in the guitar. I have to make a cassette or a CD. I have to cut a CD. Something like that, no? Talent ko mene khoj diya. Aisa kuch hua yaan par. No, who's skillful in playing. No, what? How was he playing skillfully? When nobody's watching. It's amazing, no? 
see our skill is directly is equal to how we play when nobody is watching like pastor says can we perform to an audience of one okay i'll show you a powerful verse turn with me to 78 psalm psalm 78 Psalm 78, oh boy. And let's read the last uh, two verses, which says, uh, verse 8, 70 onwards, 70 onwards, 70 onwards. He also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. Okay, it's like Issachar, no? He was between two sheepfolds, no? He also took David from the sheepfolds, okay? From following the ooze that had young, and that means this guy was into animal husbandry, no? Whenever the child, when was a lamb was giving birth or something was giving birth, ooze or eaves were eaves were giving birth, he was there. I mean, it's not easy, okay, to stay in your uh, in that place okay but anyways to shepherd jacob's people and israel his inheritance he had to shepherd jacob's people how did he do it look at look at this verse 72 so he shepherded them according to the integrity of his hands and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands integrity of his heart and the skillfulness of his hands how did he develop the skill proverbs 22 29 Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Yes, 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 yes. You are right, brother. Do you see a man who excels in his work? Other translation. If you have the NASB, NLT, NIV, both all these things, you can see different. Okay. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will not stand before. He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. NLT. Do you see any truly competent worker? they will serve kings rather than ordinary people niv maybe do you see a man skilled in his work skilled you see skill skill is important okay such an important thing now tell me what is the difference between talent and skill i was just just looking up difference between talent and skill talent is something which is inborn which is already there okay which you have already been given now for example if you could be a swift runner that's a talent Yeah, some people have it skill is something you develop okay talent is dime a dozen so many talented people but very few skillful people okay like i will tell you something the the current indian cricket team has a bunch of talent but very little skill you say put them on a sticky wicket they will do disco dance only okay the best cricket team according to me was during the time of dravid lakshman tendulkar and ganguly ganguly okay 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 okay, okay. I mean, there was a website called ihateganguly.com those days no <laughs> it was a as a blog called because he was losing matches left left hand and he was not performing okay but fine but you have you seen Uh, all the and sevag yeah sevag sevag lakshman tendulkar dravid and ganguly in that order okay all these okay why because these were the guys who performed outside india on bouncy tracks 
not tailor tracks for bowling have you seen uh, you should see lakshman's uh, batting in the perth test when india won perth is supposed to be the bounciest tracks in the in the world one of the most difficult tracks to bat on it was a bowler's paradise Four days is if you are, it's a five day match. If it goes to four days, is a great thing, and we won it all because of Lakshman. They call him Laxman or whatever it is, but fine. But he was just extremely brilliant, skilled fellow. Because I used, I mean, I know him because he used to uh, practice in in our in our, in our grounds near our uh, home called RRC grounds. And from morning, Jimkana grounds, RRC grounds, he used to play for eight hours continuously. Baller and ballers used to get tired balling to a machine. He was such a hard-working fellow. And he put a price tag on his wicket. Okay. Now they'll come and play some flashy shots here and there. No responsibility at all. Like idiots they'll come, make a mess of themselves and fool of themselves. They take all our money. Huh? Yeah, they, they, they finish the, the test in three days. What nonsense? Why? Because they're all talent but no skill. They play to the audience. Who watches test match? Right? But, you know, everybody knows what is the ultimate form of cricket? Test cricket. 2020 is all nonsense. One day itself is a big nonsense. Nobody even cares those days now. I mean, I don't care one day. See, I, I watched Ashes more intensely than watching even World Cup. That is more exciting. You know why? That is endurance. There's a lot of skill that is required over there. It's And that is not practiced. Have you ever seen people coming and watching test match? Scanty people here and there. Who cares? Nobody. But when it comes to 2020, 2020, full, all girls are also there. Don't, don't have an, they have no idea as to what cricket is. They are, they're also there. Everybody is there. <laughs> so, there's a difference between skill and talent. Okay. Talent, everybody, a skill has to be developed. You have, you may have a gift, but skill has to be, that is the reason why Paul tells Timothy, study to show yourself, you see, approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. This is a skill. You may have a gift of preaching, but you should have this, you have to develop the skill of dividing the word and explaining it properly, doctrinally soundly. That is a different, uh, Paul game altogether. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. So this is a skilled man. Do you see a skilled man in his work? He will serve before kings and not serve obscure men. That's exactly what what Joseph was. He was skilled. He was excellent in what he did. He never did a sloppy job. Whatever you do, aim for completion. Perfection means what? Completion. right? Try as much as you can to do. Close out every loophole. That is That should be our aim, no? Whenever we're doing anything for that matter. That's the attitude with which we work. And therefore he's called a skillful player, skillful in, in cunning. No, but that is not just important. Now when he's talking about skillful, there's another thing that we looked at, right? The Lord was with him. A lot of skillful people are there, but something should happen when you play the 
string instrument, which, which is called Nagina here. Okay, skin, Nagina. It's not Nagina, as I said. Nagina. Okay, Naginoth or string instruments. There was one guy who played the string instruments. Now, turn with me to Second Kings chapter 3. And let's read from verse 11 onwards. We looked at that, no? In the morning. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants, the king of uh, Israel answered and said, Elisha, you look at that, introduction. Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Then Elijah said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Okay. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver him and deliver them into the hand of, of Moab. Then Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you, nor see you, but now bring me a... You know what the word musician again? A guy who played the string instruments, a nagina. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. See, that is what we call as the anointing. So lot of people play, even skillfully, but does the anointing come? That is the point. See, it is just not important that you should have a talent. You should have, it is just not important that you should have a skill. Finally, you should have the anointing. The anointing. And when will God give us the anointing? Hebrews chapter 1. I mean, if you want to give, anointing is given free. I don't know. I don't believe so. If that is the case, then Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. And what does the next word say? Therefore, as I said, no, every promise is what? Conditional. You have loved righteousness and you hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. See, the anointing doesn't come easily. You see, it's very, very important for us to understand. You might be having a tremendous skill, but if you want your skill to bring the presence of God into the congregation, you need to have the anointing. Okay, so the first condition I said that you should get the anointing is wait, what? By loving righteousness and hating lawlessness. Second way, Psalm 133. We looked at this in many, very contexts. Psalm 133, let us read from verse 1 onwards. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. That is where anointing is. You go to the next verse. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down from on the beard. So that means when brothers are together in unity, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of the garments, it is like dew of Mount Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion for 
there the Lord commanded blessing, even life forevermore. This is what anointing is. Where is the anointing? It is in the midst of your brothers. You're, 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 you're in the, you're in the, in, in other words, anointing is just not you, is not given only for yourself. Yes, anointing is there which is working for you, which is breaking yoke over your life. How do you know that you have the anointing? Every yoke of the enemy is broken under the anointing, it says in the book of Isaiah. Only KJV, by the way, captures that. All the other translations have removed it. Unfortunately, I don't know why. Okay. The anointing of God is important. It is the anointing. Only one person who had not only the talent, he also had a skill and when he played what came? The anointing came. The anointing is important. And what do we do therefore? Say, Lord, grant me the anointing. Plead for the anointing. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. You see, ultimately anointing is not for yourself. And many, 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 many believers, I mean, they think that the anointing is for themselves. It's not for us. Yes, in as far as anointing is concerned about us, it is to deliver us from our own personal sin. Okay. Alright, so the anointing came. And then he prophesied. The Lord came upon him. That means, see, there's a tremendous power in music. Okay. And, and I believe David had this, uh, uh, how do I know that he had the anointing? Okay. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23. Verse 23, yeah. Verse 23. We're looking at 18, verse 23. And so it was whenever the spirit from God, it is not of God, which spirit, Baba? The distressing. It is actually the word is Ra. Ra means the evil spirit from God came upon Saul. Boy, that means what? It is not that God sent an evil spirit. He just removed his spirit from us. And the moment you create a vacuum, evil spirit will come. Because where does the, where does the, what is the spirit like? Dry places. You're dry. That's what it is. Babylon is called a dry place. It has become a place for demons and for every unclean spirit and for every caged animal. Caged bird. Huh? Caged bird. Every unclean spirit. It's a dry place. It's become a dry place and what does it happen? What happens? It naturally and automatically attracts. That's not one demon, several other demons now. So the spirit, evil spirit from God was upon Saul that David would take a harp and play it with his hand, then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would leave. You see that? So he was, he was just not only talented, he was skillful, and whenever he played the anointing came. The anointing. It's the anointing which makes a lot of, diff- all the difference. So what do we have to work on? Skill and Anointing. <laughs> okay. You understand what I'm saying? We have to skill, we have to work on skill, and we need to work on the anointing. And how do we know that we have the anointing? First John, 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, and verse 27, if I'm right. 
but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and does not and you do not need that anyone teach you but the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true is not a lie just as it has taught you you shall abide meaning what like yesterday we were saying the most powerful weapon in the in spiritual warfare is what truth and what does the anointing lead you to truth it teaches you the truth so if you are growing in truth then you are that then you have anointing i'm not just talking about growing in knowing the truth growing in appropriating the truth in your life that's the difference okay everybody so so much so for the second point so is a let's go back now to first samuel chapter 16 and let's read verse 18 now <sighs> so he was a skillful in playing and two points are mentioned a mighty man of valor and a man of war what is common between these two mighty man of valor and a man of war man kya baat hai thank you so much ardham aagli hai what did i say it is not for children it is for men kjb ungada first chronic first corinthians chapter 14 verse 20 First Corinthians chapter fourteen verse twenty. First Corinthians chapter fourteen verse twenty. Brethren, be not children in understanding. That is what prudent in speech. That's the next word. Prudent in speech. Okay. How be it in malice be children, but in understanding be men. Okay. So ultimately, again, again, KJV. Okay. Ephesians chapter four. was 14 onwards okay hmm yeah actually we will read from last 12 onwards no 12 12 onwards 12 onwards 11 yeah sorry sorry sir the fivefold ministry okay <laughs> was 11 onwards he gave some apostles some prophets some evangelists some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry perfecting of the saints the work of the ministry edifying of the body so three things what is the ministry accomplishing okay it is accomplishing the task of making the saints complete it is accomplishing the task of preparing people for a particular work in the ministry third it is accomplishing the task of edifying building up or what we say uh, uh strengthening so three things are mentioned over here it is completing it is equipping and strengthening what are they completing equipping equipping and strengthening and then verse verse 13 till we all come to the unity of faith and then we have to have that means we all come to the unity of faith of the knowledge unity of the faith of the knowledge of the son of god unto a perfect man so it's not a perfect child it's a perfect man so what is what should be the comparison of the perfect man unto the measure of the fullness of christ that means that guy man he has to grow until he becomes close to christ and of course he's not talking about just one man he's talking about all of them together coming to the maturity of jesus christ 
You understand what I'm saying? That is the reason why teaching is given. Verse 14 is very crucial. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So that is the reason why we are, we are, we are, we are preparing what young men and not children. Okay. First Corinthians chapter three. Let's keep, keep it on KJV. And verse one onwards. And I brothers could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. See, there's a lot of difference between listening to meat and eating meat. There's a lot of difference between smelling meat and eating meat. Okay, there's a baby who smells meat. But can you give it meat? No. That, that's the difference. Okay. You can say it's all. Oh, the word was so fantastic. It was so good. But when you start eating, then you know. Like, <laughs> you eat biryani, you know. High protein diet ko khane se kya hota? Mujhe malum hai. That's the point. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. It's not that you are not listening to meat. <laughs> you cannot eat it. Ultimately, you have to eat it, right? For hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither you are able to bear it even now. And then he goes on to say, For you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal? And walk as... No, look at this. If you are walking like mere men in the world, you are a babe. In Christ. That means if you're, like, you, there is, there is, there, if you're walking according to the pattern of this world, you may be a born again believer, but your mind has still not been transformed. You're still not thinking the way God wants you to think. Your priorities are still worldly priorities. Okay. So you might look very mature, you might have a lot of intelligence, you might have a very good education, but you're still a babe. You understand? So, he was a man of valor. He was a man of war. Both. So, one of the things that is very, very clearly underlined over here, that he is a man and not just a young ruddy boy. In God's sight, he is a man of valor and he is a man of war. That is what it tells, no? Remember that uh, that guy, I forget his name, uh, when uh, Ahithophel uh, 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 counsels uh, Absalom to, to pursue David and finish him off, there's one guy who's there in, I forget his name, huh? Oh, sorry. He says, you know what, your, your father has been a man of war right from his youth, so don't play the fool with him. He's a man of war. Okay, he's old then also. He was old by that time. Okay, he's a man of war. A man of valor, a man of war. So you need to become a man of war. So in order to become a man of war, what are the quintessential characteristics for becoming a man of war? Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Actually, before we go to Deuteronomy chapter 20, turn with me to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. We looked at it several times, but... I'm putting all of these things together, okay? Genesis chapter 14, we know this, right? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 14 and let's look at verse um, 14. 
14, 14, easy. Now, when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants, born, is this in KJV? Okay, fine. Trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Okay, so this is, these are, these are people who are born. The first time the war, war, war is mentioned, we have people born in their own house, in Abraham's house. They were trained, they were armed. Okay, that's, that's what some other translations says. But that's not today's word. Let's go to a particular verse, a passage which talks about war. Turn to Genesis, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 20. Let's read from verse 1 onwards. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and let's read verse 1 onwards. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and let's read from 1 onwards. It says, when you go to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them for the Lord your God is with you who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now this is talking about warfare. But there are three things uh, that you have to do in this warfare. First, something which the Priests come and says. Second, something which your officers say. And third, something that you have to personally do. Okay. First, what the priest says. Second, what the officer says. And third, what you have to personally do. In order to be equipped and to be qualified as a man of valor and a man of war. Hmm? Okay. First thing. See, because unless and until you have won your own personal battles, you are not really equipped to help other people uh, win their war. It's like, you know, this is not like a, a classroom where you go and teach something on the board and... No, 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 no. You have to sit with them. You have, This is experiential. Okay. Alright. So, look at this. And so it shall be, when you are on the watch of war, the priest shall approach and speak to the people saying, Hear, O Israel, Today you are on the verge of battle. No, this is a, this is like this. No, you are getting into uh, becoming becoming a disciple. Discipleship is not easy. It is battle. I told you, Christian life is a battle. It is war against the world, war against your flesh, and war against the principalities and principalities and powers of darkness. And if you are not walking in purity, it is war against God also. God is a. <laughs> opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We know that. Okay, so be very careful. So this is war. Hear, O Israel, today, you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. In other words, do not be afraid. First. So what do the priests come and say? Do not be afraid. Do not tremble or be terrified of them. Verse 5, verse 4. For the Lord your God is with you. Who is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. That means in order for you not to be afraid, who should be beside you? God. That means you should have an assurance. <coughs> okay. The first, that's like we know that, the first two promises, thou shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from his sins, and thou shall call him Emmanuel, for he is God with us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Greater is he who is inside of me than who is there outside. Now, but the point is, do we have the assurance that he is with us? Is a question. <coughs> We know that, no? The Lord is with all those who are of a broken and a contrite spirit. He is with them. First thing, therefore, the priest will come and say, Baba, are you sure that you are saved? <coughs> <coughs> then, hmm, that is what 
Okay, let us look at those few questions. Romans chapter 8. Hmm? Romans chapter 8. Because you see, one of the things that David has, why is he called a man of war, man of valor and man of war, is simply because of the way he goes and confronts Goliath. Now he says, I do not come with javelin and uh, you come with me sphere and javelin, but I came come to you in the name of the Lord of Shabbat. That means he is absolutely sure that who is with him? God is with him. So, how do I, you and I, ensure that God is with me? Simple. First, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Where we have to answer a few questions. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. First, actually 31 and 32. Uh, what shall we say then? Uh, what shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? Now, these three questions. What shall we say of these things? Nothing. It's a rhetorical question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Answer, no one. If God is for me, who can, nobody can be against me. Second, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? Meaning, if if he gave Jesus for to, to, uh, to die on the cross for my sins, Definitely, he is he's going to give me all the things that I need. But the question is, I have to answer with absolute certainty is verse 31, part 2, if God is for me, who can be against me? So how do I answer the question? That question can be answered by answering the rest of the three questions. Turn to now 33 now, go to verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? First, can anybody bring any charge against you? In other words, do you have unconfessed sin in your life? Are you hiding something from God? Have you brought things into light? Okay. This is very important. Very, 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 very important. See, uh, it was very, it's very interesting that in the old covenant, which is essentially a type of the new covenant believer, the, the moment they lost a war, they knew that the Lord was not, not, not with them. If you see, the first war they lost was after they entered the promised land. They, they, they win the war against uh, Jericho. They lose the war against I. And God says, I was not with you. Why was I not with you? Simply because there's sin in your camp. And you didn't repent of it. The sin in your camp and you didn't rip, rip. you did not bring it to light and therefore you had defeat. There was no assurance and you got defeated because of your enemies simply because you do not have the assurance that I was with you. You understand what I'm saying? So the first question we need to ask is if can anybody bring a charge against me? Can enemy bring a charge against me? Can somebody bring a charge against me? That's our first primary question that we need to constantly keep asking ourselves. Have we done something presumptuously? Remember, God says, 
you fellas rebel these 10 times. No more going into the promised land. Now what will they do the next day? They strap themselves with their uh, sword and Moses says, don't go, the Lord is not with you. But what do they do? They presumptuously go and they get beaten up. What, what did they think? They think that, they, they think that God is okay. I mean, that is the reason why, turn with me to Psalm 139 please. Psalm 139. Are you there? It says, verse 22. Ah, wait, 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 wait. Not 22. Hmm. Oh, so Psam, Psam 119, not 132, 139. Psalm 19, Psalm 19, Psalm 19. Excuse me. <clears throat> Psalm 19 and verse... Ah... Uh, 12 onwards who can understand his errors and he says Lord cleanse me from my secret faults and then keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins yeah I can go doesn't matter lot of ministry full of presumption they just presume that God is with them. See, if you have not done what God asks you to do in the way God asks you to do, you can never experience the presence of God in your life. Lot of people do something God asks them to do in the way they wanted to, wanted to be done. <laughs> or they do something with God never asked them to do in God's ways. Still there is no blessing. So he says, keep your, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them have no dominion. Then I shall be what? Blameless. That is what we need. Blamelessness. Can anybody bring a charge against you today? Is a question you, you need to ask yourself every day. And I shall be innocent of great transgression. And then verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You are my strength. You are my redeemer. And he says, no, God tells Abraham, I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. I am the Lord who is going to fight your battles. Do not be afraid. But you have to be sure that God is with you. Boy, that's exactly what the children of Israel thought. That God is going to be with them. Just because they shed a few tears. And did not, did not deal with their heart. They thought God is going to be with them. And God was not with them. God is not with them. So the first question in Deuteronomy chapter 21. Uh, go back to uh, go back to Romans chapter 8. Who can bring any charge against God's elect? Yeah, 33, yes. 833. It is God who justifies. So first thing. You know what? Quit justifying yourself. Let God justify you. That's what the whole idea is. That is what Lord my righteousness means. You are my right. Not my works. Not the works of the law. Not trusting in my own righteousness. Not having my own righteousness which is from the law. But the righteousness which comes by faith 
and faith alone. That is what I'm looking for. I'm not looking at my work. I'm not looking at my obedience too. I'm not just, I'm just looking at the mercy of God in my life. That is the reason why he says, who can understand his what? Errors. Nobody can understand his errors. Keep your servants from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over them. That is the prayer. So in order for God to have uh, to have the assurance that God is for me, there should not be any charge against me. That all my sin has to be brought to light and has to be confessed. That is exactly the reason why 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 will say, onwards actually, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. And the next verse, if we say that we have... No sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. One of the most powerful weapons, like this, like Pastor was saying yesterday, is truth where? In us, not here in my hand or in my head. It is in me. It has become a part of me. So I have to be absolutely sure that God is for me. It is the Lord who's, who's fighting my battle. And then he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, faithful and just. And next verse, 10 verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Oh, no, 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 I did not sin. No. Really? I I only made a mistake. You're You're making God a liar. You are insulting his intelligence. You're insulting his 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 uh, holiness and his purity. You see, it is God who justifies. There is no other way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And how do you appropriate the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for yourself? By confessing everything and saying, Lord, it is you who justify me. Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, please. Verse 26, 27 and 28. 27 and 28. This is... He whom is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Who's this? John the Baptist. For I say to you among those born of women, there is no greater than a prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And then, and when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors, what did they do? They justified God having been baptized in the baptism of John. So you you declare God to be righteous when you confess your own sin. Okay, there is no other way to God except through Jesus and Jesus alone. A-L-O-N-E. Okay, otherwise you, you say, you know what? You make him a liar. If you say I have not sinned, you make him a liar. But what does scripture say? Let God be true and let every man be a liar. It's, it's very interesting, you know, how people are, it, it, it happens in children. I told you, right, sometime back, uh, Abigail and Emmanuel were very small. Um, for I used to give them a shower, no? That was, that was uh, my work just before they go to school. Justin is preparing all the breakfast, getting everything ready. It's my duty to fin- get the, bring, give them a shower and get them ready to school. So what they did that day, they messed up their feet and they went into the, they had a small bathtub and they messed up the bathtub. And by the time I entered into the washroom, the bathtub was like black. And I just looked at it. I looked at Abigail. Abigail is two years older to Emmanuel. And Emmanuel was very small. I said, Abigail, 
What is that you did? She looked at me and she said, uh, uh, Papa, uh, that was not my idea. She said, who said? Her sister who's two years younger to her. She said it'll be a great idea if we jump into the bathtub with our dirty feet and mess it up. And therefore I did it. Isn't a child. And I looked at her and I said, do you know that I am a PhD in robotics? And you are expecting me to buy that testimony of yours? That is exactly how we are with God. No, no, I did not do it. No, 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 no. She made me do it. That person you gave. What are you doing? We are insulting God. You are making him a liar. And you think God is going to be with you? Forget about it. So be absolutely sure. That, so don't have any confession that you will give a toehold for fear into your life. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1. The righteous are bold as a lion. Okay? Alright, so, wicked flee. Okay, this is, oh yeah, wicked flee when no one is pursuing in Proverbs chapter 28 verse 1. And the righteous are bold as a lion. So let's go, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 4 now. After the priests finish their uh, discourse. Ah yeah, verse 5. <clears throat> then the officers shall speak. First, let us have no unconfessed sin. That is what the priest has to come and do. Why? He has to, you know, uh, make atonement for your sin. Basically, that's the job of the priest, right? Now the officers come. What man is there who built a house and has not, not dedicated it? Let him go to go and return to his house, lest he die in battle and another made another man dedicate it. Also, what man is there who has planted a vineyard and has, and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man eat of it. Verse 7. And what man is there who has betrothed a woman and has not married her? <laughs> Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man marry her. It's interesting, right? There are eunuchs who are being made eunuchs. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of God's sake. If anybody is able to receive it, let him receive it. Okay, that is, that is a different story altogether. And verse 8, an officer shall speak further to the people, say, What man is there among you who is faint-hearted and fearful? Let him go and return to his house, lest the heart of his brother and faint like his heart. So first thing he says, let be sure that God is with you. Second, he says, count the cost. What should the officers come and say? That the priest will come and say, let ensure that you don't, you have God as with you. That means you don't have any unconfessed sin. That means all your sins, your known sins have been atoned for is something you should have assurance of. 
That's exactly what the priest was supposed to do. Make atonement. Every sacrifice they have to put they they have to put the hands on the, on the 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 people have to put their hands. There's a transference of the sin that happens onto the animal, and they go slaughter the animal, apply the blood, and what has happened? If they have if they have committed any sin, they have been atoned for. Now the sin has been covered. The priest does the covering of the sin part. The officers, what are they supposed to do? Count the cost part. Okay, you have a new business. And you are interested in your business more than you are interested in the in the battle with God. Please go home. This is not for you. Okay, you are married, or you are in love. It doesn't say you have been you have betrothed a wife. It doesn't say that you have that you have married a wife. You have betrothed a wife, and you are afraid that somebody else will go and marry her. <laughs> you know that's exactly what God tells Jeremiah. You shall have no wife. Finished. Count the cost. Okay. If there is betrothed, and then, and uh, if he has a vineyard, he's a business, if he has built a house, that means if you are concerned about the affairs of this life, you're not ready for war. So, first is what? Be, make absolutely sure that God is with you. Second, be absolutely sure that you have counted the cost. You have to count the cost. There is a cost for discipleship, my dear brothers. It is not easy. All this thing that, you know, it is, it's okay, God understands, you should enjoy life, God is not against your pleasure, all that is okay. But is there a delight in you to do the will of God? And if you want to do the will of God, you have to pay the price. There is no Christianity without the cross. Impossible. There should be surrender. At some level, you have to say, you know what, Lord, I surrender. We to we, this is something which we have to at any cost under any circumstances and say, Lord, that's what we are doing in in all these days. And let me tell you something. When Peter says, Lord, we have forsaken everything and followed you, you know, he looks at looks at them and he says, Nobody who has forsaken mother, father, wife, children, all these things will not only receive in this life with persecutions, but in the life to come also you will enjoy. That means what should we do? Don't fix your focus on this life alone. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse last two verses. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working in us far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporary, and the things which are unseen are eternal. Therefore, have an eternal consciousness, mindedness, eternal eternity mindedness. Count the cost. What is vineyard? Temporary. Wife? Temporary. House? Temporary. And because of all this, your heart is faint-hearted. See, if you are worried more about your house, about losing your house, then you are fearful. Right? If you are worried about losing your wife, you are fearful. If you are worried about losing your business, you are fearful. So count the cost, the officers will say. And if you have any of these things in battle, please leave and go. This battle is not for the faint-hearted. 
Isn't it interesting that when uh, Goliath comes, they are describing Goliath? They are confronting Goliath? And who are these fellows eating three meals a day? Military food. And somebody else will come and give extra food also. Nonsense. Who is that? David. And that guy, he is ready to fight the battle rather than these fellows. They look at Goliath and say, Hurry, look at Goliath, how big he is. Look at his fear. Look at his armor. And they have no eyes. You know why? They are all faint-hearted. They are people who have not counted the cost. And they are not ready for war. They are not ready for war. And they are not very ready for battle. So first, ensure what? God is with you. Second, ensure that you have counted the cost. Both are important. First, ensure the cost. I mean, ensure that God is with you. Second, ensure that you um, counted the cost. And third, win your personal battle. Turn to Deuteronomy now, chapter 20. Are you there? Verse 15. Okay, so 16 and 17. 16 and 17. But of the cities of those of these people which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, this is the life of Christ, okay? You shall let nothing that breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy. You know, can you just put it into ESV, please? ESV is really powerful, actually. It uses a very interesting word. But in the in these cities that the, of these peoples that the Lord your God uh, is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote to destruction. Devote them to complete destruction. The problem with Saul was this. Turn with me to First Samuel chapter 15, verse 1, 2 and 3. Look at that. How this man falsely used his anointing. Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel and therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Next verse. Why does he take the anointing away from Saul? Simply because of this reason. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. And the moment, you know, this uh, Samuel is saying this, what was the king supposed to do? In Deuteronomy chapter 17, what was he supposed to do? You don't, let me show you. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 17 now. And verse 17 and 18. And we'll come back to 1 Samuel chapter 17. He shall not acquire, this is the king, okay? The king shall not acquire many wives for himself. Let his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excess of silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of the law approved by the Levitical priests. Now, did did any time this guy had a copy of the law? Did you ever say, Saul, I delight in the law of the Lord? No law. First Samuel chapter 13 verse 13, why did he, why did he offer the burnt offerings? Because he did not know that the, the, that there is a law saying that the kings are not supposed to offer any offerings. It is only for the Levites. He did not know the law. He was ignorant of the law. And what is the law? First five books of Moses. 
And what is he quoting over here in First Samuel chapter 15? Turn with me to Exodus chapter 17. And read, let's read from verse. Are we there? Exodus chapter 17. Now, verse uh, 14 to 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial and a book and recite in the years of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. How do you not know the will of God? Simply because you have never meditated upon the word of God. You were never interested in the things of God. You were a man of flesh. You were never interested in the things of the spirit of God. If you have read Exodus and also Dutiya Upadesam, which is Deuteronomy, Turn with me to Deuteronomy. I'll tell you. <clears throat> Chapter 25, verse 17 to 19. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way of, as you go, to, as you came out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail. Those who were lagging behind and he did not fear God. Next verse. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you in the land that the Lord your God has given you for inheritance to possess, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven and you shall what? not forget. Next verse. Oh, that's it. No, it's 19. Yeah. You shall not forget. Now come back to the first time chapter 15. 15. Look at, see, if, if, see, what the prophet has said should be only a confirmation of what you have already read in the scriptures. Did not Joshua have the law? And what did he say? This book of the law shall not depart from your, where is the law for you, my dear king? Where is the law? Where do you, do you have a copy of the law for yourself? It never says that Saul had a copy of the law. But on the contrary, it says that David delighted in the law. And he wrote psalm after psalm after psalm as to how he loves the law. No wonder he was a man after God's own heart. If you have a, if you're a, if you're a man who do not love the word of God, then you're not a man of God. Let me categorically say, categorically say that. And you will never be able to win the battle against against your flesh. You know why? It is a sword of the spirit which is the word of God. What? The word of God. And that is the only offensive weapon that you have in your armor. How many battles are won because of defense? That is the reason why I don't like Italian football team. Why? They only defend, 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 defend. On the other hand, Brazilians? Boy! Attack! Somebody said attack is the best form of defense. See? You're not ready. There's only one offense. Of, and that is the reason why he says, if you by the spirit put to death the deeds of the body. And what is a, by the spirit, does the spirit work, work in a vacuum? No. 
Having these exceedingly great and precious promises so that you can buy them, you can be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So if you do not know these exceedingly great and precious promises, how can you escape the corruption which is in the world and be partaker of of God's divine nature? It is impossible. And this guy has never ever studied the law. You see that? Samuel said, the Lord sent me to anoint you. Thus says the Lord, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel. When Lord? Where Lord? How Lord? Doesn't know. <laughs> he has no idea at all. If, if, if it were told to David, he would have said, if he made a mistake, he would go back. Okay, this is how the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to get be brought into, the, into Jerusalem. What a mess I made. It was never going back to the law in his life. When the first mistake he made in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13, when he offered the offerings, which he was not supposed to offer, he should have gone back, right? And he should have studied. Why did I, where did I go make a mistake? You see? You do the, and then what happens? I have noted what the Amalek did to Israel in opposing them. Now go and strike Amalek and what? Devote to destruction. In other words, in your life there should be a devotion to something that God says destroy. Devote to destruction. Do not spare them. That means there should be a war against your flesh. Amalek which represents flesh. So let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 20 now. Upadesam, Dithi Upadesam. And 20. And a few verses and then we will stop for the day. Chapter 20. Win your personal battles. What are the battles? 14. So 16 and 17. 16 and 17, chapter 20, 16 and 17. But of the cities of these people which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them, or this is, or devote to destruction, ESV. Okay. Devote them to complete destruction, verse 17. The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded. First, tell me, let me tell you, what are these spirits? What are these natures? What are these nations? First, you have to destroy Hittite. You know what Hittite means? Dread, fear. Okay, that is what it means. Dread or fearful. Turn to 1 John chapter 4, please. Verse 13 onwards. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13 onwards. A spirit which brings condemnation into your life. That is what it is. Dread, no? What it says. By this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son and, and uh, to be the savior of the world. Next verse. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God and, and uh, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the law, the love. We have come to know and to believe, verse 16, the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Verse 17, 
by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is also but, but as he is so also we are in this world and verse 18 this is important there is no fear in love perfect love casts out all fear for fear has to do with what punishment and 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 fear fears has not been perfected in love so what is it fear has to do with punishment and what is this hittite it is a spirit of dread and fear which comes upon you because of condemnation and guilt i feel okay so one of the battles consistently every believer has to fight is what fight what guilt and condemnation you see, it's a it's it's a subjective thing, right? Everybody don't we can never ever come to a point and say, yeah, today I don't feel condemned. Every day we have to believe in the work of cross because there are sufficient things we have done or not done, which is enough to condemn us. And the enemy brings condemnation and guilt. It's a crippling spirit and a spirit of condemnation. It's a spirit. Don't give in way to it. Dread. Fear of punishment. He has taken the punishment of, of, of for our sins on the cross. There will be discipline, but there is no punishment. We will be chastised, but we are not under wrath. There is a lot of difference. We are not being appointed for wrath, but to inherit salvation. You are getting it, everybody? So the first spirit that we need to go, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 16. <sighs> But, 16, 17, 17, 17, sorry, 17. But shall devote to complete destruction the Hittites. Now, the first thing every day in the morning, Lord, go to the Lord, send, spend some time and say, Lord, Father, I confess my sin. I want to repent. Grant me the gift of repentance, Lord. Let me not have any condemnation. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And let me walk, and not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Let me be in you. Let me walk with you. Let me walk in you. So deal with what? Dread, punishment, fear. Fear of punishment. So many children. Children of God are in fear of punishment, Baba. Why? When God has already taken the punishment for our sins on the cross. We don't have to. Next. Hittites, Amorites. You know what an Amorite is? The word Amori means assayer. That means he says. <laughs> what does that mean? Slander. Gossip. That is the Amorite spirit. It's very interesting that it says the iniquity of the Amorites is not filled. Why? Slander spirit is just exactly equivalent to the spirit of Satan. And one of the things that we have to constantly guard our hearts against is the spirit of the slander in our own heart. Like we have a saying in English, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. Period. Practice that. Though the Hittite spirit, which is a spirit of condemnation and dread, the Amorite spirit, which is a spirit of slander. Slander. 
Sitna. Satan. Which means slander. The slanderer. And he has nothing to do. Nothing. I mean, I, I like this verse. And I showed this so many times. But I love it. Turn to Zechariah chapter 3. It's called the Gospel according to Zechariah. Gospel according to Zechariah chapter 3. You know this verse? Okay. I, 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 I don't uh, have to apologize for showing this verse so many times, but I love to show it, show it again. <sighs> Let's read from verse 1 onwards. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. That is exactly what a slanderous spirit is. Satan is the one who brings accusation. And if you are bringing accusation against your brothers or yourself or your be very careful. It's a slanderous spirit. Okay. The Lord said to Satan, said Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And go on. Now Joshua was standing before the angel of the Lord clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him, uh, and to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure garments. What is God giving? He's taking away all the filthy garments of our old righteousness and we are being accused by the devil. This person is useless Lord before the Lord and God says, I rebuke you. I have taken his sin upon myself on the cross. Remove those filthy garments. Your iniquity is removed. I am giving you a new garment of righteousness. And then you know what? Then I said, who is that I? Zechariah. You know what Zechariah said? Lord, let him put a clean turban on his head. This guy Zechariah is so excited that one of his brothers is being justified by faith. He says, Lord, Lord, you forgot something, Lord. You forgot something. You have to put one thing, one turban on his head. What is the turban on his head? Holiness to the Lord. Every high priest had to have a turban, right? What was that? He belongs to the Lord. And this guy is so excited. That one of his brothers is getting justified. He's being accepted by God. He says, Lord, put a turban on his head. He's not like the elder brother. Who brings a report of slander. Do you know that your son, your son, spend all your money on harlots? What will you be? The elder brother or Zachariah? Who's excited to see a brother who's being justified by faith. I want to be this guy. Excited. If there is excitement in heaven, over one sinner repents, who repents, how much more there should be excitement on earth? I'll tell you something, there is excitement in heaven and so many people feel sad on earth, unfortunately. How can God accept this fellow? A sinner? Oh, you don't know. That's the spirit of the Amorite, you, my, you, my, my dear brothers. For 400 years, God tolerated it. He's going to judge it now. So judge it in your heart. The spirit of the Amorites. Now turn again, go back to 20 and verse 17. Deuteronomy. And you finish quickly. The Canaanite spirit. What is a Canaanite spirit? Canaanite means a trafficker, a merchant. Interested in business and gain. Turn with me to first, Second Peter chapter 2. It says, sorry, just a minute, please. I forgot to write it. Where it says godliness was a means of gain. Uh, 
or is it Jude? One second, let me just find it. Okay, it's uh, yeah, first Timothy chapter six verse five. Sorry, first Timothy chapter six verse five. Apologize. And verse six and uh, four, four and five, four and five. He is puffed up and considered and understands nothing. He has an un- unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are dip- who are deprived in mind, deprived in mind, and deprived of the truth. Imagine imagining that godliness is a means to that is the spirit of the Canaanite. What do you want to use for your godliness for gain? They will go from house to house. They will steal widows. And they have no conscience whatsoever. That's a Canaanite spirit. Put to death, he says, the covetous Canaanite spirit. That merchant spirit inside of us. Who thinks that godliness is a is a means for gain. Godliness is a means to give, not for gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And godliness is is not for gain. And that's a Canaanite spirit. So we have the what spirit? First spirit. The Hittite spirit. The, the dreadful spirit, the spirit of dread. The Amorite spirit. The spirit of sandler, slander. Third is a Canaanite spirit. Fourth is a Perizzite. What is this Perizzite? Perizzite is a person who is dwelling in villages. That means he loves comfort. Ease. You see? Village dweller. Have you seen Kesa Bedke, Wapar Panchayatke, Jharke Nija Bedke, Same Kesa Bidajate, look, as if they have no other work in their world. In this, in, they just sit under the tree and they spend time after time after time after time doing nothing but chit chatting and nonsense. That is a villager spirit. I mean, I'm not using it in a derogative sense. I'm talking about a person who is at ease, at, who loves comfort. That's a Hevite spirit. Oh, sorry, the parasite spirit. Who is a dweller of villages, villages. Deal with it. That is the reason it says, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. <laughs> Sorry Lord. You, there is no ease for anybody who, are, who is in Zion. Everybody is on the job. Whatever job that is. Being entrusted into your hands. Okay, so what we have the Hittite spirit. The Amorite spirit. Hittite spirit is the spirit of dread. Amorite spirit is the spirit of slander. Third is a spirit of gain. Canaanite spirit. Third is a Perizzite spirit. Is a spirit of ease and comfort. We can just go dwell into it in much detail. I'm just giving you um, a small snippet. Fifth one is a Hevite spirit. What is a Hevite spirit? Genesis chapter 34, verses 1 onwards. We'll know this. We looked at it. but Now Dina... The daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the woman of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamoth, the Hevite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated. This is a spirit which, which is after your purity. But then he later will come and say, oh no, I love you. Please give her, give her to me. But it is after your purity. It is after your devotion to Christ. 
Oh, I'll get baptized for your sake also. Circumcision in this case. But he's after your gain. He's after your land. He's not after you. That is a heward spirit. The spirit which takes away the chastity, chastity of a believer. That is the reason why 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1, 2 and 3. This is what Paul will say. I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Please do bear with me. I feel a divine jealousy for you. For I have betrothed you to one husband to present you, KJ will use the word, as a chaste virgin to Christ. I want you to be a chaste virgin, a pure virgin, a chaste virgin. Verse 2 of uh, of uh, Second Corinthians, I, that I may present you as a chaste virgin. And what is a Hevite spirit? It is a spirit which robs you of your chastity. And what you have to do, fight it with all of your heart. Do not love the world or the things of the world. Purity. So you have the Hittite spirit, the Amorite spirit, Hittite is dread, Amorite fear, sorry, uh, slander, third is Canaanite which is uh, trafficking or um, gain, fourth is Perizzite which is ease, fifth is chastity and the sixth one Jebusite. What is this Jebusite? It is after the lordship of Jesus in your life, it is after Jerusalem. 2 Samuel chapter 5 verse 6 to 8. Look at this, very interesting. And the king and his, and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. But by the way, before we go there, in fact you can see Judges chapter 1 verse 9, if I'm right. Just see Judges chapter 1 and we'll stop here. We're almost done. We're almost out of time. Verse 11, if I'm right. 11? Just see 11. Or 21. It's okay, don't worry, don't worry. It's fine, fine, fine. Uh, we'll look at it later. No worry. So, hmm? Yeah, yeah. But the children, 21, yeah. The children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited where? Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Okay. So let's go back to, uh, this Jebusite, what is this Jebusite spirit? It's a very stubborn spirit. It's not easy to drive. It's it's there as, as a thought in your mind. Okay. Jerusalem is where, is where... What is Jerusalem? What did I say? Jerusalem means dash. Teaching of peace. What is a Jebusite spirit? It is a spirit of false doctrine. Lies. Where there should be absolute pure teaching. Okay. Because your doctrine determines your behavior and your behavior, your character and your character, your destiny. Or rather, your doctrine, your character, your character, your behavior, behavior, destiny. You can put character and behavior, vice versa. Okay. What is it? The Jebusite spirit which is there. Jerusalem means teaching of peace. And what is, that means, what is teaching of peace means? How do you have peace with God? And you have peace of God. And you have peace with men. How do you have peace with God? Holiness. 
How do you have peace of God? By not being anxious with, for, any, for anything, but in all things with prayer and supplication and, and the thanksgiving, making your request known unto God. Then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That is how you know how you can have peace of God and peace with God and then you should have peace with men. And what does Jerusalem stand for? It stands for a teaching which equips you in your walk with God. And that is where the Jebusites are. With all their false doctrine. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem and against Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David saying, you shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Ultimately, who has to throw this fellow out? The David. Our eternal David. Who will come to Jerusalem and drive out every nonsense. And before that happens, we also have to constantly keep judging the Jebusite spirit. Because in the last days, people will go after seducing spirits and what? Doctrines of demons speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their hearts seared with a hot iron. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, guard. Guard the doctrine that God has given you. Guard it with all of your heart. And fight every false doctrine. A Jebusite spirit, which compels and tries every false doctrine, every, I mean, which uh, tries to oppose the doctrine of Christ in your life. Therefore, Second Corinthians chapter 10. And verse 4 onwards. Verse 3 actually. Verse 3 onwards. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. If you have the uh, KJV, pure, strong Victorian English, Okay. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Where? Here, in the head. When the, if the head is sick, the whole body is sick. For, and then verse 5. Casting down imaginations. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity, captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And then verse 5. Verse 6. And having readiness to revenge all disobedience. When your obedience is fulfilled. Till that time. Fight the Jebusite spirit. So you have to first have. You should have what? assurance that God is with you. Second, you have to count the cost. And third, you have to win your own personal battle by devoting to destruction the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hevite, and the Jebusite. Every day of your life. Every day. Because fear can come every day, no? Dread can come. Punishment, the fear of condemnation can come. Right? Fight it every day. And say, Lord, why? How can you fight? Because it's, we have been given a promise. If you are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. You don't have to fear punishment. Yes, there's discipline for sure. But there's no condemnation. The Amorite, the slanderous spirit. Oh boy, deal with that. Canaanite, the spirit of gain. The Hittite, okay, we, uh, the, uh, the Perizzite, the spirit of ease. The Hevite, the spirit which takes away the chastity and a pure devotion to Jesus Christ. The simple and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. And the Jebusite which fights doctrine in our minds. Fight every false doctrine. Fight your thinking every day of your life. And when you win these war, you know what God will call you? A mighty man of valor and a man of war. And the Lord is with you. Okay, and the Lord is with you. Amen. Let's pray.
And you know, when you do this, you are handsome before God. <laughs> Not necessarily before man. But God looks at you and says, he looks beautiful. Okay. In the sight of God, there's a meek, gentle and a quiet spirit. That's what humility is, right? In the sight of God. Let not your adorning be of that of the external, but that which is of the internal. The adorning of a meek, gentle and a quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is very precious. Likewise, the women of old adorn themselves, being subject to their own husbands, okay, without any fear. Without any fear. Just like Sarah obeyed God and called, uh, obeyed her uh, husband calling him Lord. Whose daughters you are. And we are also daughters, right? In, in that sense we are. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you, Father, for teaching us so many truths, Lord. Continue to minister to us and continue to teach us. And continue to cause us to walk in your ways. We thank you, we praise you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.